<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I was attacked in the workplace on a modeling job. And it was something that really took me down to the bottom of the barrel. Like, I didn't know what to do with that. I, I sat on my bathroom floor and cried for a couple days and felt like I got to get out of this. I need some help. I need to figure out what to do next. And I don't even know where to go. Hi, everyone. You're listening to The Females, a podcast from Career Contessa that deep dives into the world of women, work, and what it takes to build a successful and fulfilling career on your terms. This season of The Females will explore the world of meltdowns and comebacks. I'm Lauren McGoodwin, CEO of Career Contessa and the host of The Females. Today's guest is Paige Adams-Geller, founder and creative director of Paige, a highly successful premium denim and lifestyle brand. Paige's journey began in Los Angeles, where her entrepreneurial spirit took her from working as one of the top fit models in the industry to launching her namesake collection in 2004. However, as you've heard throughout season one of this podcast, no journey to success happens without some bumps along the way. And for Paige, those bumps included everything from navigating tricky career transitions to a health crisis, and even dealing with the aftermath of sexual assault trauma that left her figuring out how to rebuild her life. Today, she sits at the helm of Paige as the only female founder in the denim industry. She's continuing to challenge convention and infuse her colorful spirit into her designs, her company, and even into her own personal development. On this episode, Paige is getting vulnerable, and we cover things like how she manages her perfectionism, the two traits she relies on in order for her to continue to dominate the premium denim industry, and what she does to strengthen her confidence muscles each day, muscles we could all focus a bit more on. Paige's story is one of triumph and authenticity, and I can't think of a better way to end season one of The Females. Let's dive in. Let's start at the beginning. What was your childhood like, and um, what were your career aspirations? Wow, I grew up in a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere in Alaska called Wasilla. And I used to look through magazines and watch TV shows and dream of what it would be like if I left Wasilla and chose some kind of cool career where I could travel and see the world. And I watched a lot of All My Children, and I was obsessed with Erica Kane, except for not the bitchy side, just the cool side that she was running a business empire and a cosmetic empire. So I had, I think, deep down some kind of dream of running some kind of empire in that realm someday, but I just didn't know what it would look like. Yeah. And so you went to school in California, though. So you eventually left Alaska. Yes. And what'd you do? I think you went to USC, right? I did. 
I was a USC Trojan, and I majored in broadcast journalism and speech communication. And I thought that maybe I'd be a talk show host at that point, or maybe do what you're doing and yeah. <laughs> interview cool people and travel the world and do it that way. Um, but no, that's not really where my journey took me. Yeah. So tell us what, I mean, you got into entertainment and modeling. So tell us about that. I did. Um, after USC, well, actually, before I went to USC, I left Alaska when I was 16 and, and went to New York to model. Wow. And I left New York and decided that it would be best for me to use my brain and utilize my talents for a while and make sure I got an education so I'd have something to fall back on. So that's why I went to USC. Loved every minute of it. It, it, you know, just loved broadcast journalism and the whole college experience. But after I still had this like guttural, like dream and desire to explore the entertainment world a little bit more. So I was acting, modeling, doing commercials and singing in a band. Wow. All at the same time. <laughs> You're a triple threat. <laughs> and, and so tell us, I mean, how is that going for you? Cause Breaking into acting is not an easy thing by any means, or nor being a model. No, it was it was a tough time in my life. I wouldn't say that it was my my best years. Mm-hmm. I think that I am someone who is, um, who 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 probably struggles a little bit when it comes to being in front of the camera and making sure that I have control over my life in some way, shape, or form. So me, as a commodity, isn't the healthiest or safest place for me. So I struggled during during those years, like keeping my weight down um, to be in front of the camera. When I was modeling, they'd always say I had a pretty face, but that I still needed to lose some weight. Um, I would have a modeling agent say they wanted me blonde, an acting agent wanting me brunette, someone else wanting me thinner, someone else wanting my hair different, and then my singing agent wanting something different from me and not wanting me to go on commercial auditions or acting auditions and only focusing on singing. And of course, that's like late night and then getting up early for auditions. And it was a tough time. So I think through all those years of struggle, I was trying to find myself. And instead of feeling in control, I spun out of control. And it really took me to some dark places. Mm -hmm. And um, you've mentioned that part of that was you developed an eating disorder. I did. I suffered from anorexia. So I... Over the years, it's like, realize you need food to fuel yourself, but I I chose to really not eat much, and so I'd wake up in the morning, get on the scale, look and see what my weight was, decide how much I could eat that day, over-exercise, and go through this like vicious vicious spiral of spinning out and just focusing on that every day, and over time, that really wears on you. You don't have enough energy to wake up in the morning, it's hard to get through the day, and it's even hard to concentrate and be mentally sharp, and... I eventually ended up having to to get treatment and get help. How did, I mean, I mean, I think that's a really brave thing to one, not only share publicly, but two, very brave decision on your part to say, I'm not in control. I need to get in control. I'm going to go seek treatment. Was that something where you had friends and family intervene or you were like, I have to do this to save my life? Actually, it um, got to a point where I was attacked in the workplace on a modeling job and it was something that really took me down to the bottom of the barrel like I didn't know what to do with that I I sat on my bathroom floor and cried for a couple days and felt like I got to get out of this I need some help I need to figure out 
what to do next and I don't even know where to go. And I was sent to the rape treatment center to go talk to someone and I'd never been to therapy before. So actually when I went to the rape treatment center, started talking to a therapist and it was like truth serum, getting everything out that had been happening to me through all of these years and, and, and desperately seeking some form of motherly advice. And my therapist there was amazing. She said that the best thing for me to do would be to go away for 30 days to a treatment center and really process everything. So that was one of the best gifts I ever gave myself. It was the scariest thing I ever did. It took a lot of courage to look around to all the people that I thought I was going to disappoint and say, hey, I got to check out. I'm going to get help. And uh Hopefully I'll come back after Humpty Dumpty's put back together again and see where the road takes me. Right. And and what happened after treatment? I mean, I would assume it would have been it would have been hard to go back to kind of the quote unquote old life too. Absolutely. What what was a new awakening for me was that I was really asked to think about not having a career in front of the camera. Because as I mentioned before, me, myself as a commodity, isn't the healthiest place for me to be. I'm a perfectionist. I definitely have an ism. I want to do everything to the like perfect extent degree in, in an obsessive way. And so if someone tells me I need to lose weight, I just keep going into that downward spiral of like needing to lose weight. And so it's a, it's a dangerous territory. And so they highly recommended that I not go back out in front of the camera and pick a new career, at least until I had a long period of, of being healthy and then we could reevaluate. So what I had to do during that time was really think about what I wanted to be when I grew up and think about something different. And that was hard and scary. And um, I met this woman, this amazing woman, Myra Fornos, who's like an angel in my life, who brings me to tears thinking about, she had put herself through law school as a fit model. And I didn't know what a fit model was. And she goes, I met her at this event where I was actually singing the national anthem. And she came up to me and she says, you're really proportionate and have a really nice figure. Have you ever thought about fit modeling? I'm like, oh, I'm not supposed to model. I need to take a break. It's not healthy for me. And she goes, no, no, no. Fit models are paid to be a healthy weight and to be really proportionate and to go work with clothing designers and they design clothes off your body. It's like, it's not super glamorous, but at there's the no same runway. time, yeah, there's no runway, <laughs> there's no photographs, but you can work around fashion and, and, and get paid for staying at a healthy weight. And she goes, they pay really well. <laughs> So I said, what do I have to lose? Sure, I'll go. Like, where's the number? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. So a fit model is where they're putting the, the clothing on you and then deciding what it looks like on a real person? or well, they, they, it, they, it, You can be a fit model in a few different ways. Um, a, a true fit model that's hired by a clothing designer and company works with the designers and the pattern makers. And when they're creating new articles of clothing or patterns or fashion pieces, they actually put the clothes on your body to see if the pattern is meeting specs. Mm. And um, they'll look and see what it looks like on the shape of your body, how the fabric's draping. Then you'll move your arms and you'll make sure that you have arm reach. And then if you're sitting down, you're not showing bum cleavage. And um, you have to keep your measurements the same so the pattern makers can work off your body and the patterns stay consistent. 
So you're actually a live form that they're designing the clothes off of. Wow. Wow. And and obviously they want you to be proportionate of normal people, not size zero model. <laughs> exactly. It's like they're, they're, what they usually do is try, if a clothing brand runs from size zero to size 14, they'll usually pick a fit model in the m- middle of the range of size. So maybe you'd be a size eight if the clothing brand runs from zero to, to 14. Um, if it's zero to 12, they'll probably pick a fit model that's a size six. And that means like they can grade the patterns up and down based off of what that pattern is off of your body. And there's measurements they're usually looking for, like your shoulder to shoulder should be a certain measurement, your center back length to your waist should be a certain measurement based on the median of most people that are size six in the country. Right, that's so interesting. Yeah, so what's cool about that is if you shop and there's certain brands that actually fit your body better than other brands, it's probably based on the person that they're designing the patterns off of and her shape might be similar to yours. Wow, that's so fascinating. Well, also, I feel like sometimes you're in a dressing room, you're like, do they ever even put these on real people? And the answer is yes. <laughs> Maybe that person just doesn't have your proportions. That's true. And some brands don't because it costs a lot of money. Right. So if a brand can't afford it, they will only design the clothes off of the dress forms and go from there. So that will be different because the dress form can't move. Right. So it Absolutely. can't tell you what it's going to feel like if you raise your arm yes. and if the armhole moves right. Yeah, absolutely. So around what year was this uh, that you were fit modeling? I started fit modeling in the mid, probably around 93, 94. Okay. And I mean, denim wasn't what it is now. Back then, were you fit modeling for denim lines or what kind of clothing were you fit modeling for? It was wild. Well, it was right at the very beginning stages of the premium denim explosion in L.A., So at first I was fitting for Guest Jeans, which isn't a premium denim company, but a great denim company. And I worked with Guest Jeans and then Lucky Jeans. I remember Lucky Jeans. Those were big. They were big. They were huge. Yeah. And I was also working for some dress lines, evening gown lines, um, a bunch of different activewear companies. And literally right at that moment, these two men that were at Lucky Jeans, one was in sales, head of sales, and one was the designer, left Lucky to start Seven for All Mankind. And I was the fit model, and they said, hey, if we start this company, will you come and also work with us? So I had the opportunity of also working at the same time for Guess Seven and and Lucky all at once. And then the premium denim explosion just happened right after that. There was tons of startup brands all happening in L.A. at the same time, just like years consecutively after that. Yeah, I totally remember. Well, I was in like maybe like middle school when I got my first pair. I think they were my sisters, actually, and I was borrowing them. But they were like (laughs) nice seven jeans. And she'd come back from a trip in California. We were living in Florida and they were like stretchy and you wore them with heels and (laughs) I had never seen anything. But. I guess kind of what is the evolution to premium denim? I mean, was that like an L.A.? I mean, how did that come about? Hey there, let's take a quick time out from today's show so I can tell you about Zola, the easiest way to plan your wedding and register. I have been a wedding guest probably no less than 50 times, and every time I'm thankful when I come across a Zola wedding site and registry because Zola conveniently manages everything online and in one place which saves the couple a lot of time. And that's important if you don't want to worry about dealing with stressed out friends. 
The wedding website is also free and that's definitely appreciated when you're already thinking about a budget along with so many other details. With over 100 website designs, each couple's site really matches their style and wedding type. And who doesn't love those personalized details in the stories like how the couple met or how they got engaged? And the FAQ section is incredibly helpful for answering those awkward questions like, can I bring a plus one if I wasn't on the invite or what about bringing kids to the wedding? But by far, my favorite section that I use the most on Zola sites are the registry pages. Having all of the items in one place makes it easy for me to get all the details I need to buy wedding gifts in one convenient and beautiful place. Plus, Zola offers the widest selection of gifts, so I always have plenty of options between that expensive vacuum and contributing to the honeymoon fund. They also include free shipping and returns, price matching, and more, so your guests, like me, don't spend hours online making sure we've gotten the best prices or all the details correct. It's easy, and that's exactly what you want for your guests, too. If you're engaged or overwhelmed with the wedding process, take it from me, a seasoned guest. Zola is definitely worth it. And today, we're offering you a free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola. Just go to Zola, Z-O-L-A dot com backslash females to start your free wedding website and also get $50 off your registry on Zola. Go to Zola, Z-O-L-A dot com backslash females. Well, I think that denim had always been constructed in certain ways and washed in certain ways that um, lend themselves to not quite be as costly in price. Then there were these amazing innovations in fabric in Italy that were the movement of amazing fabrics that were durable enough but had enough stretch in them that you could really wash down and you could mold and do so many different things with but there was the stretch in it that was a comfort stretch that wouldn't break down if you bleached it and processed it and did so many different cool things to it to make them look amazing and fit amazing and they kept their shape yeah and it was new and yeah. so that was the innovation the the and the the actual fabric coming from Italy the denim coming from Italy was expensive on its own and then when you would put the fabric through all the different wash processes sometimes it could be 18 to 20 different wash processes wow. before it actually hits the floor yeah um the incremental cost add up and the price point gets higher right into the hundred and eighty dollar range per jean right and um it was something new that yeah. we hadn't seen before and people went crazy for it i mean totally. <laughs> everybody and like now i guess it's kind of the norm is you know that you know if you go to nordstrom's there's a ton of options of premium denim but back then it was just the beginning of that so true and and your cost per wear value based on how durable the product actually is is worth it but yeah it's been so much fun watching a whole new industry um, shoot up and be part of it from the ground up. Yeah, I was gonna say. So you're you're a fit model for seven, mm-hmm. and kind of what is that like? I mean, uh, I know you you often are quoted saying, "I was a fit model who spoke up." <laughs> so, so tell true. us about that. So lots of times the models I think would just show up and be the form that the designers designed off of, and not really say anything and just dress up, and kind of like dress up Barbie, and. I think that I can't help myself. I think probably because of the dysmorphia for my body image and what I'd been through with eating disorder and how painful it was from time to time to try on clothes and look at myself in the mirror or on camera and see what I look like. I felt 
I had to say something if I tried something on and I felt that I didn't look good in it. And the designers would ask me point blank, do you like these? Do you think these are really cool? And I'd say, honestly, I think my hips look like three sizes bigger. And I think if we shift this pocket or maybe move this seam, I would look a lot thinner and I would love them if we could try that. And these back pockets make my butt look huge and I don't want my butt to look huge. So could we maybe shift this around and see what it would look like? And at first I think they were offended, but the more they started listening to me, they were thinking, well, you are my customer. You are who's going to actually be trying on the jeans, so I probably should be thinking about what you have to say. Absolutely. Some designers didn't like it so much, it would kind of be like, well, they shouldn't be buying my jeans if they don't think they look good on them then. And that would be... <laughs> That's a bad attitude. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you're giving your thoughts and opinion, and what happens? I mean, do they sell more? I mean, do they say, oh my gosh, you're a genius, you should start your own denim line? <laughs> well, it really went from um, what... Ever magic potion happened when I would be fitting the jeans, the jeans would sell. And then word on the street would be like at the retailers, who's performing best? Well, seven jeans are selling the best. Why? Well, their fit's really good. Then the next denim company would say, well, who's their fit model? And they'd go, Paige. So then I'd get hired to go to work for that company. And what though that I was very meticulous about because I'm very concerned about making sure that I have a good reputation and that I never sell someone else's soul to someone else or give out any secrets. I would always try to dive into the demographic of who it is that they were trying to sell and what their twist on fashion was. Right. So there might be one company that had a little bit more boysy of an attitude of like their jeans are a little bit more, um, they want the jeans to be make your figure look a little straighter and have a little bit more of a boyish attitude. Another company might be really sexy and be selling to a younger demographic. And so I'd dive in and try to dissect the fit based on that, not on just doing what Seven did, because that wouldn't be fair or right. right. So um, every company that I started fitting for became hugely successful, and I became like the most in-demand fit model in the industry, whether it was doing three dot splendid or LMOS t-shirts or jeans. Wow. So I went to a life coach after years of having this tremendous amount of success, staying very healthy in my body weight, um, being able to make a great living because it did pay really well and said, what's next? I don't know what I should do. I feel like I have something more to give this world. I feel like I have a passion and a purpose but I don't know what to do with it. Maybe I'm healthy enough to go back into acting and use my creativity there. Maybe I should do something in, in that world. And the life coach eventually worked through some things with me and she said, I don't really think you like the entertainment industry in itself. I don't think that's a place you have the same kind of passion for. She's like, but you love fashion and you love helping women and you love empowering others. It's like, why don't you think about starting your own brand? And if you did, what would your own clothing brand look like? And it was surreal. It was one of those experiences because I'd never thought about it. And not I, once. Not once. I had never thought that I could do it. I, I thought, what do I know about running a company? And I, I wouldn't know what to do. I thought I was going to go back into the world of being a commodity and that I was healthy enough to do that. And someone else could tell me what to do and I would do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but she said, no, try this. And I literally went home and I mentioned it to my husband and 
He said, if you don't do this, you're going to regret it for the rest of your life. He's like, just go do your homework. Go do what she asked of you. Put your dream together of what it would look like if you were to start your own company or your own clothing line. So I did. It's really fascinating to hear you say that because it's like you had an inner voice of self-doubt being like, no, you can't do that. Other people can do that, but you can't do that. Isn't it so interesting how like our voices say one thing, but it's that's why you need, you know, the life coach or a third party who's like, no, you should do this or you can do this. I, I just find that always, um, and no matter who I talk to, it's like our inner voices are sometimes, man, they're the harshest critics. <laughs> I say that I am in an abusive relationship and people will look at me like, oh my God, you got to get out. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, with myself. Yeah. They're like, nope, and I take me wherever I go. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> a hard person to get away from. And it is true. If I was left to my own devices, just sitting and spinning in my own pain or fear, I wouldn't get anywhere. Yeah. So I'm grateful to those people that have been angels in my path along the way that have helped me get out of my own head. Right. Absolutely. And I know that you launched your namesake label in 2004, (laughs) um, which I mean, so you had been doing the fit modeling, you said 93. So when did you start doing your homework before you actually, um, I know there's a lot that goes into launching a label. So when did you actually have, like, what year was it that you actually said, okay, I'm going to start researching this? Um, This is crazy. This is crazy. This is like one of those surreal experiences again, that I was being led by the universe because I went to this life coach in May, 2004 Went home, spoke to my husband in May. In June, decided that I was going to retire from all of the companies that I was fit modeling for because I couldn't go with the same eyes if I knew I was starting my own company. So I had to quit all the people I was fit modeling for. I was throwing up in bed, making all the calls, (laughs) saying that I'm going to retire. I started my company July 1st, 2004 was able to put together my first line, hire a showroom to represent the line, and launch the line in September 2004 at Coterie. Wow. And I don't know how it happened other than a lot of hard work and being feeling like I was trusting my intuition with everything that I had. Did you did you have to raise money? I mean, how did I mean, I would assume you said to buy the denim was really expensive. I mean, mm-hmm. how did you even I know this is kind of a nosy question, but how did you even be able to finance this? Even if you had it all, you know, organized and you had the right people, I'm sure they wanted paychecks. Still, <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Um, I I was able to make a pitch to several different people that I knew in my life and see if any of them looked like potential investors. Most of them I was scared of because I was going to have to give up too much of the company or give up some creative control that I was not comfortable giving up. Right. But um, we did find someone through our accountant who we felt would be a really good investor. I think in hindsight, we probably ended up still giving a little too much of the company away, but it's okay because we were able to start the company. And then what we did is incubate ourselves inside of another company. Oh, smart. So incubated inside of a parent company and I could share expenses yep. and then hire some people to freelance and help me just in the beginning without giving them 
a secure full year of work. It was like, can you freelance for a bit and just test this out with me and then hire a few people along the way that I felt were like my dream team. Yeah. But being able to share expenses was, was a big help. Yeah. And I'm sure you had so many great connections from all your years of fit modeling that you you know, getting the dream team, you were probably handpicking. You knew exactly who you wanted. I did. That was the lucky part. I had made some great relationships and fortunately didn't burn any bridges that I knew of. And so when I picked up the phone and called my favorite pattern maker and said, hey, I'm going to start this company. Would you want to come aboard? She said, yes. And I couldn't believe it. And then I called my favorite person that was a freelance designer and said, would you come work with me so you could sketch and put together the, the measurements and work with the pattern makers. Yes. Called my favorite fabric sourcer. Yes. And I was like, this is crazy. They all believe in me. This is amazing. Which helped me yeah. really believe in myself more. Because I'm like, they all said yes. Yeah, absolutely. Not where one person said no. So I have two questions. One, why did you name it Paige? Um, and then two, <laughs> you know, because you were fit modeling, you obviously knew how you wanted to make yours different than other brands. Um, how, how did you make sure that happened? Um, that's a good question. It, it, I came up with some really stupid names, I think in the beginning, trying to figure out what to name it. And, um, then finally it clicked. It sounded at first egomaniacal to call the company page. Cause that's just not my, my first instinct. I'm not like an egomaniac. <laughs> and then it really clicked that the reason to be like what I could do to make Paige differently than all of the other premium denim brands that were out there was let the customer know that there is a person behind the brand that is caring about their relationship with denim and what it that I want to know what you don't like or what you like about when you're trying on jeans, your hardships and your love and what it is that you're looking for. So to be able to be the person and the face and the ambassador and, 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 and design to help women, it made sense. I was like, they'll know that there's a page they could write dear page. I hate trying on jeans (laughs) because I feel like I never can find something that's small enough for my waist, but big enough for my butt. Yeah. Can you help me? Yeah. So it clicked. It made sense. There was no one else out there. Plus, there was no other women in was, the field. I was just going to say that. And I cannot believe that you were the first woman to start a, a premium denim line. Like, <laughs> it just blows my mind. Um, but also, you know, there's a t- uh, statistic that, like, men will apply for jobs when they only meet, like, 70% of the... <laughs> so actually, now that I think about it, based off of, like, how men think and women think, I'm like, maybe that's not so crazy. But, yeah, I mean, you knew exactly what women want, and, and you could design it for that. And that was definitely the reason to be. And I'll never forget when I was showing the line for the first time to retailers and they'd be like, why page? Why should we buy page? What makes your jeans different than everything else out there? And being able to say, well, I'm designing from a women's perspective. I just bought these really rad shoes that I can't wait to wear. And I need the perfect silhouette of jean to go back to those shoes that I just bought. That's how I'm going to think about it. And I'm going to think about comfort. And I'm going to think about butt cleavage. And I'm going to think about all these different things. And what else is in my closet. And what I need to go back to everything else in my closet. So it's going to be different than these men-designed gene lines that are very successful and do very well, right. but it'll just be fresh. So I want to talk about confidence and authenticity. Um, clearly they're, well, I think they're two critical ingredients to success and, um, I think you have a lot of them. And so I'm kind of curious, how have you built up those skills, especially coming from a place where at one point in your life, you didn't feel very confident. 
It's a great, great question. I think that confidence certainly doesn't happen overnight. Confidence comes from allowing yourself to make mistakes and learning from the mistakes. Because I think when you make mistakes, learn from them, you have a certain level of confidence about knowing not what you're not going to do the right. next time around. And but But I think most importantly, confidence to me comes from being authentic. The more authentic I am, the more comfortable in my skin I am, the more real everything comes into fruition. And it makes you feel like you're not being phony. And because you're not right. And it, it has a different it takes on a different meaning. And a lot of that has come from that knowledge has come from making the mistakes from not being authentic from time to time. When I've been asked to create certain things for the brand that I don't think are necessarily right or they don't ring true because they're super trendy um, and I'll go ahead and decide to design it just for the retailer, usually it doesn't sell. And they say we we need to take it back because it didn't work. And it didn't work because my customer didn't believe it from me. Yeah, They felt that it wasn't true. But I think if I do go back to the question of how do I build confidence, I think that personally, I've had to build confidence from, from doing my homework. I do do my homework. I do try to take in as much knowledge as I can before making a decision. And that sounds contradictory to being instinctive because mm-hmm. I'm both. Right. I'm instinctive in decision making once I've done my homework. Then I'll go, okay, I see everything that's happening around me, but gutterly, this is what I think rings true for me. And that's tapping into authenticity. Right. What's ringing true for me? And and that will click. Discipline builds a lot of confidence for me too, because um, I've always been a really hard worker. I was a straight A student. I graduated high school when I was 16. I was raised wow. a grade and a half, graduated college when I was 20. I've always had a really good work ethic. And I am very disciplined. I wake up in the morning. I take care of myself. The more I take care of myself by working out, I can eat and feel comfortable for the day and be strong and healthy. I meditate. I like internally listen to my soul so I can make good decisions. I plan for the day so I can do the best that I can as the day goes on. And then I'm ready to conquer the world with the people that I need to and attend my business meetings. Right. But but that takes discipline and that's practice on a daily basis. And then I would say the final thing that I do for confidence building is do esteemable acts. The more that I do to help other people, Mm -hmm. whether it's charity, whether it's mentoring, whether it's um, doing something just out of an act of kindness, the better I feel about myself and the more confidence that gives me when I project myself out into the world. So by doing esteemable acts, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to make better decisions. Right. How do you stay energized and innovative and excited about that? (laughs) It's a good question. I I think that, um, well, I definitely found my passion because everything that I get to do is in this career. Like, I've been able to design clothes. Um, I'm the creative director for photo shoots. I get to travel, meet new people, go to different countries and and sell page to different retailers around the globe. I get inspired by the young people I'm around. And I think it's so much fun to see what they're excited about when it comes to fashion, which might be different than what I'm excited about. I get inspired by music. I go to a lot of concerts 
and take in that and it feeds my soul and then figure out new ways to create. I go back and look at old 80s pictures from when I was in high school and go, well, it's in fashion again. Let's yeah. figure out a way to recreate this. This is so much fun. So really I'm doing what I love to do and I keep excited that way and being able to build slowly like slow and steady wins the race, keeps me inspired. So going from denim to denim and t-shirts, then denim and t-shirts to wovens, denim t-shirts, wovens dresses. Yeah. And then now getting to launch a shoe collection right. this fall. And there's always something that gets me excited about what the next step is so I don't get bored. Yeah, you're always reinventing. Mm-hmm. Always, whether it's with you or your company or maybe those two things together. And then also after women's starting the men's part of the business, which I sometimes don't talk about enough, which has been exciting and men's is on fire right now. And we're building the lifestyle of the rest of the brand of everything that goes back to a man's pair of jeans or whatever else he has in his wardrobe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, they need they need help too. Yeah, they do. <laughs> um, so a lifestyle brand for men and women. Absolutely. And I, I mean, one question I love to ask people on this podcast too is if you could rename meltdown, bad day, failure, whatever you want to call it, what what would you call that? Opportunity. I love that. And most of the most of the great opportunities come right after those moments. It's so true. Life it's is opportunity for learning experience. <laughs> Life is uh, interesting like that, right? <laughs> it's like so let, it let you have a bad moment, and then we'll give you the prize <laughs> when you survive this at the end. <laughs> oh man, um, I'm curious. Where do you? Um, what do you think is next for you in your career? I wow, I'm excited to continue to um, build more page stores. I think it's so much fun showcasing the brand in its entirety. So I'm looking for more locations, not only domestically, but internationally, where I'll want to create more page stores. Very excited about the shoe launch in September because I'm super passionate about shoes. I think I know more about shoes than I know about denim. Really? (laughs) That's impressive. I'm sure because I would assume you're like quite the denim expert. I have done nothing. I haven't had to buy jeans in so many years. I bought a lot of shoes and done a lot of homework. Right, right. And I definitely want Paige shoes to be comfortable and something that you can live in from day to night, morning to moonlight for men and women. And so um, I'm really excited about that opportunity. I think there will be a lot of um, great shoes for a lot of people that they'll want to buy and be excited about well i'm sure everyone's happy to hear that because finding shoes that are comfortable and they look good it's an art as you said it's kind of like the super bowl you know (laughs) mentality of like when you find one you think you've hit it big um so that's that's really really exciting and thank you you know congratulations on also um paving the way for so many other women to start denim lines and i think you. you were really a pioneer in that Thank you. It's exciting. Yeah. So tell the listeners um, where they can connect with you if they want to follow you and know what's happening more in your life. Absolutely. Well, we do have our Instagram, which is Paige, just at Paige, B-A-I-G-E. For my own personal one, which I'm finally starting to pay a little bit more attention to, it's Paige A. Geller. So Paige, P-A-I-G-E-A, Geller, G-E-L-L-E-R. That's my personal Instagram. 
And um, that's probably the best way to reach me. And you can direct message me if you have any questions. Yeah, well, and you're lucky you probably own at Paige on every, you know, social channel because you were the first at Paige, <laughs> which is good. It's, it would be a tough one to get now, right? <laughs> it would be. I'm so grateful we got it. It took a while. We had to be Paige USA first, and then we oh. finally got Paige. <laughs> No, that, that was yours. You, you deserve that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your, your very inspiring story. Thank you so much. Oh, and I do want to say they can reach us at page.com when we get our new website set up. So we're in the process of rebuilding and we're super excited. And so they can go to page.com. You've got com. digital store. You've got your, your physical locations. And those are expanding, you said, right? Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you again. Yeah. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you. It's an honor. That was Paige Adams-Geller, founder and creative director of Paige, and the first woman to launch a premium denim brand. Thank you for listening to this episode, our last for season one of The Females. As a final note, we want to say, if you or anyone you know is dealing with an eating disorder, please check out our show notes for the National Eating Disorder Association Helpline. For more interviews and career advice from incredible women, check out careercontessa.com. We also offer other great resources like career coaching, a curated jobs board, profiles on female supportive companies, and on-demand career courses in our e-learning library. Seriously, we are a one-stop shop for your career success. Have you been loving this season of The Females? Tell us about it by leaving a review on iTunes. We read every single one. And don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify so you're the first to know when season two premieres in 2019. We can't wait to unveil next season's theme very soon. While you anxiously await our return, you can stay in touch with us via Instagram at CareerContessa or through our home base on CareerContessa.com. 